Why are you working nights? Why are you working weekends? And then they'll say this, well, I'm not asking my team to do it. Yeah, but you sent out emails at 10 o'clock at night. So, so you are asking them to do it. You sent out stuff on the weekend. You, you're asking them whether you know it or not. Well, I want them to be better. Okay, cool. So all you're doing now is ramping yourself down further and further, which means you're not there for them, which means you're not elevating them, which means you're taking on more work, which means you're burning out faster. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Michael Santarcangelo, founder and president at Security Catalyst and 25-year veteran of the industry. Michael is joining me today with Rich Mason, president and CSO at Critical Infrastructure LLC and former CISO and CSO at Honeywell. Both of these gentlemen bring a great amount of expertise to the show, and both are some of the deepest thinkers in cybersecurity that I know. I consider both to be friends, not just colleagues. And true story, Michael is the reason I'm a podcaster. I first started listening to podcasts back when Michael was co-host of the Business Security Weekly Show, and that's what inspired me to start my own show. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. My pleasure. Thanks, Alan. After that intro, I, I can't be anything but humbled to be here. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Before we dive in, I wanted my listeners to know that I have launched a consulting practice. Alan Alford Consulting is available to help you get your cybersecurity program off the ground or to tighten up how you manage it and how you articulate its value. I'm also available to mentor and coach aspiring and soon-to-be CISOs, so if you like what you hear on this show, check out alanalford.com for more details. That's A-L-L-A-N-A-L-F-O-R-D.com. All right. Tired Topics in Cyber is our conversation du jour. We decided we were, uh, Rich and I were, were having a conversation about stuff in cyber that just seems to go on the hamster wheel and go in circles and get nowhere and... Why do we keep engaging in this behavior and what's the point of these tired conversations and what are some alternatives perhaps? And Michael, he immediately suggested you uh, when the topic of tired conversation came up for some reason. He said, I want you. I want I, I want Michael Sandarcangelo in this one too. So there we have it. Um, my take on cyber topics, they drain us without leading to any positive outcome. Rich, what's your, what's your take on a tired cybersecurity topic? Yeah, I think uh, every time I hear a tired topic on a on a podcast or in a in a LinkedIn feed, I lose a hair, and I think uh, I think Michael does as well, and that's that's how we've ended up where we are. Uh, but you know what I think of of with tired topics, I, I I think it's about folks regurgitating the same thing over and over again. We don't make any meaningful progress on uh, on the topic, and, and I start to think that people aren't necessarily trying to tee up. Uh, a platform for change. They're trying to regurgitate a divisive topic to generate likes and comments and engagement scores and work the algorithm, uh, as opposed to being um, good, good, uh, uh, good uh, members of of the cybersecurity community. So I think what what I'd love to see as a result of this is try to put a pin in some of these topics and say these are the two sides of the house. You can pick one, but more importantly, let's commit to to actually fixing something as as part of this uh, this brownfield problem, or let's shift to some it. green some greenfield topics as well. I love it. I've got a friend who will not appear on diversity panels unless there's an actual stated goal, unless right. there's a an actionable plan as a result. Like she's just tired of getting invited to talk about diversity, right? 
Same same kind of it, vibe, I think. It, 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 it didn't make our top 10 list today, but it certainly is a candidate. It's a, it's a landmine to say that's a tired topic because of how important it is. But again, it, by this definition of tired, I don't see us making meaningful progress on, on diversity either. Yep. Michael, what do you think? You know, it, it's a, we've recently talked about a book by John Acuff called Soundtracks, and the basic premise to it is the voices in our head dictate a lot of what we do. So, you know, Rich, you bring up, what, like, why do people bring these things up? And, and I think there's a lot of ways we can frame it, but sometimes I see it as it's, a, it's, it's an excuse. It's the soundtrack in our head that we've bought into that, well, we can't do. And we'll, we'll see it as it comes through some of these things. What's interesting about soundtracks is when you can identify that there's a soundtrack in your head, you can change it. So what I like about this topic is by saying, yeah, so let's identify these. And if, if you're listening and you find yourself engaging in some of those, Okay, cool. Challenge yourself. How can you change that soundtrack? Like, are you using that as an excuse, whether you realize it or not? Because I think a lot of times people don't realize it. We buy into it. It sounds good. It's a convenient explanation why something didn't go the way we wanted to. So we say it again. And the more we say it, the more we believe it. We can change that. We can disrupt that. I like it. So just repetitive uh, self-affirmation is kind of the, 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 the takeaway there. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Doggone it. People like me. <laughs> you know Just it. like that. All right. So let's start with our first tired topic, who the CISO should report to. <laughs> this is one of my all-time favorite LinkedIn gotchas. With, uh, as uh, I think to Rich's point, every time this one comes up, you get a massive thread with a million opinions, and it never changes, and it's just the same one the next time it comes up. Uh, so, Rich, what's what's your take on uh, on this one? It's not really a hot take, right? These are all lukewarm. Um, when, when this topic comes up, my, my gut reaction says it doesn't matter, right? I've worked for, uh, for CIOs, for COOs, I've worked for chief counsel. I've had colleagues that have worked for, uh, for CEOs and for heads of HR and communications. Um, if you're going to rise to the level of CISO, not CISO, uh, you're, you're going to have to be able to build bridges to all of your peers, to all major functions and, and business units. And you've got to be seen as a leader that can stand on their own two feet without having to call in their, their boss to, to, uh, uh, to give them the thumbs up. So, so for me, it, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I do, I, the other side of the talk track is there's an inherent conflict of interest between a C, uh, a CISO and, and a CIO cat watching the hen house. Uh, sorry, uh, Fox watching the hen house. Um, and, and so those are like the two topics that we always seem to trend back to. And and so I'd like to be able to put a pin in this one and say it doesn't matter and work on your uh, your executive presence and your leadership influence. I like it. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I, th I think the part there, Rich, that I'd amplify is exactly, are you just the security leader or are you recognized as a leader who happens to know security? If your focus is on leadership, which means you're solving the right problems, you're delivering value, you're helping the business and your colleagues, whether in technology or some other part of the business, then it, it doesn't matter where you are. It's, it's a canard. What I've seen is the flip side too, is I've seen some folks that have fought for, I should report to the CEO. Then they get there and they get asked business level questions and they're blown out. They're not prepared for it because they, they don't know PNL. They don't understand how those different things work. So if you're in that type of a situation, you're wondering it, and you want to start changing it, first start asking. I have never found asking a CFO questions about how things work for them to be like, get out of my office. You're, you're, the, you're the security person, leave. They're always like, seriously? Yeah, what do you want to know? 
So, you know, if you're looking to shift that soundtrack, it doesn't matter. The question is, are you effective? And and who are you partnering with? And do you know how to partner with them? I like it. I like it. I'll, I'll add my two cents on that one too, which is, you know, if, if we do want to get into the weeds on who you report to, uh, you both made the strong case uh, that I fully agree with. You're either a, a, a business leader who happens to be in security or a security leader who happens to be in the business, right? You want to be the former, not the latter. But but I think sometimes it is worth exploring the who part just because maybe there's some tips and tricks for dealing with reporting into that structure. To Rich's point, I've reported to all of them. I don't care. Just give me, you know, give me a budget and a mission and I'll, I'll go see so. Right. I'll go, and, and that's not CISO, by the way. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll take off and do that one. Right. Um, but maybe there is some some utility in the tips and tricks. Like if you're reporting to the CFO, you're going to have these initial thoughts of, yeah, I've got access to the purse strings. And the reality is you're going to have probably a harder case selling your budgets to the CFO. I'm reporting to the CIO. Um, he's not going to want to patch. Right. Well, the reality is you're going to have these conversations, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like I think. I think in a lot of cases, who you report to um, can come with some tips and tricks. And I think it's useful to talk about the conversation in that regard only. But even then, those are to a certain extent stereotypes. So I'm not even sure I'm really, uh, that's not a hill I'm willing to die on, right? I I think there's a case to be made for, um, you know, everyone seems to look at security as, as a career ladder. And I like to think of it as a career scaffolding, right? You're building these experiences and these, and these capabilities. So I think there's a case to be made for rotation. Right. Having having being able to spend time with a CIO, with a CFO, with a CEO, with uh, heck, my my mentor was the head of strategic marketing and competitive intelligence. That that was uh, an experience I, I, I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. It was amazing. Um, I love so you, that. you've got to build that scaffolding to be uh, to be effective. Scaffolding, not a ladder. I love it. Climbing the career scaffolding. That's, that should be the phrase. Right. Well, you know, the upside to scaffolding, too, just to stand out quick is. If you learn scaffolding, you can extend a scaffold to somebody else. So, so, mm-hmm. so now it's like when you think about building bridges and whatnot. A lot of times we talk about, okay, well, did you did you extend the scaffolding? Did you make it easier for them to engage with you on that type of stuff? So it's a fantastic way to think about it. I love it. I love it. All right, our next tired topic: users are the weakest link. Yes or no? Only drug users, drug dealers, and IT have users. Ponder that. <laughs> Here's the thing, right? We, our goal is to get closer to the business uh, and, and to bring the business closer to us. Anytime we introduce dissonance by labeling somebody as a generic user, I don't care. It may be a technical, accurate terminology for a particular system. We're creating distance. So you're doing the exact opposite of what you're trying to get accomplished. And anybody t- anytime somebody tells me that users don't understand risk or users are the weakest links, Look around, just marvel at the world around you and look at all the amazing things that people who aren't you have managed to do. It, it falls on its face. I don't agree with it in the slightest. Well, and, and tomorrow you're someone else's user, right? I mean, who is this mythical, the user, right? right. It, it includes us. It's inclusive. Rich, so, what's your take? So the two sides of the house are that the users are the weakest link. Uh, mm-hmm. And on the other side is users are our greatest asset, right? And, 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 and to some extent, both, both are true. Uh, security is all about people, process, and technology, and we've got to spend um, we've got to spend more time on the people. I think I think we tend to trend towards technology, but um, you know some of it is resources which we want. Some of it is the resources of the business that we have to get closer with. Uh, some of it is culture and human factors and user experience, and all those things go go hand in hand. 
So yeah, I, I think it's both ends of the spectrum. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, we've got to build one culture of the company uh, that accounts for everybody. I, I often hear about security culture and I talk to the business about security culture and they interpret that as the culture of the security team as opposed to the security culture of, of the enterprise of, of the company. Of the enterprise, yeah. And so we've got to find a common culture, right? Yeah, and there's another piece of it too. Right? Looking at that common culture, it's it's um, I dubbed it the human paradox gap a couple of years ago. Looking at both sides of this, and I went, you know, it's interesting. People do make mistakes, and and a lot of the stuff. And, and Rich and I, over the years, uh, we've looked at some of these breaches and said, you know, that wasn't a tech, that was a person doing something that we might quickly judge as stupid. But you know what? They had a soccer game on Thursday, and they needed to work on the files, and so they found a way to get the stuff that they needed in order to do their job. Stupid or creative? I don't know. Didn't work out well, but it, it, it the intention was good. So what I started looking at was that we've we've essentially, and I think often unintentionally, we disconnected people from responsibility. They, they want the responsibility, but we said, no, you can't have it. And, and then we use language that creates a lot of friction. We say things that they don't understand. Most people won't challenge you on it. They'll nod and smile and walk away and hope that you don't actually have to follow through on it. And then we get really upset when people do things. And so it's you know, yeah, there's an investment to be made here at, are we communicating? Is our message actually received? And how do we know? And did we invest the time to do that the right way or not? And so it's, there's both sides to it, but I, I think we have a great opportunity to make a difference here. Yeah. Alan, Alan knows that I'm a big ITIL fan. Uh, and, and it's all about building your services right and having a good service portfolio, building security into those services. I've seen in, with security awareness in the past, I've seen it done where we try to make everybody in the company an expert in all security things. And, and the lion's share, the 80 plus percent of security should be just stay in the guardrails, between the guardrails of well-designed services. Right. Yep. We can't put this much burden. You know, phishing is a great example. Right. Don't click on these bad things that look like really good things. Um, well, a well-designed service would take away the power of that click. Right. Yeah, I, I love that. If you're if you're doing it right in the first place, you're you're mitigating the harm that could be done by a human. And and to your point, it's always both sides of the coin. Right. At the end of the day, it's, it's like it's almost like having a debate. Are humans good or bad? Right. It's like. Yes. yes. Yes, they are all the things. <laughs> they are capable of great good and great bad. They're capable of great security and great insecurity. And, you know, to, to me, it gets tired in that regard. And I, and I think, you know, the, the reality is just simply acknowledging the human factor in everything you do. That's, that's, that's back to Rich's point about designing those services as well. Just assume the human factor is there and design accordingly, right? That means, right, when we're going to change that soundtrack then, as I was just listening to this, accepting that people are going to make mistakes Right. Either use empathy or build some patience and grace into your into your system and and use that technology, whether you, you're deploying your services better, you're designing them better, or you you are supporting people through it. Like imagine coming at it from the everybody's gonna screw it up. I don't trust anybody, they're no good, as saying, Hey, people are busy, we're all stressed the hell out. We're gonna be working long hours, they're gonna be under the gun to make decisions. How do we make this easier for them to make the right choice? Rich, I feel like you and I had this conversation probably 15 years ago, right? Like water principle, like let's make it easier for them to be, to make better choices and then we have less problems. And I think that that's a way that we can change that soundtrack. Grace and patience, man, that is, wow, I love it. Easy to say, hard to do. <laughs> right. Okay, our next tired topic, the talent shortage. I can't find a job in cyber because the job roles are too, you know, the job requirements are too demanding coupled with we can't find anybody and we're 
horribly understaffed and undermanned and under the gun and the bad guys are winning. That conversation, every time it hits LinkedIn, you get the exact same jibber-jabber on both sides of that same fence. It, it comes up once a week. It gets thousands of responses. It never goes anywhere. Right. Well, now we backstop it. We do perception surveys. And because people have regurgitated it, we now hold a perception survey as a, a de facto proof. Mm. It, it's interesting when you try to look for a, a statistic on whether we have a talent shortage and it's 1.5 million people or or is it 2.5 or is it 3.5? It's it's one of those numbers, right? It's all over the place. Uh, so, you know, part of me wants to say um, there is no talent shortage. A lot of those numbers come from people extrapolating the way we do things today yep. out to infinity and say, well, then we need 3.5 million people to do it. I think that's neglecting the role of process optimization, which is huge. It's neglecting the value of automation, uh, which we haven't begun to scratch the surface of automation in, in security yet. Uh, so, so I'm not saying we don't need more people. I've, uh, you know, I've seen people coming out of college right now, and they are struggling to to land. Uh, we do need some homework done on fixing job wrecks that want they they, they just don't have a good. Uh, roadmap to entry level talent into into the cyber realm, and we've got to fix that. We've got to make this um, the, lower these barriers to entry into cyber, and not force everyone to go through IT and help desk for 10, 15 years before they're welcome into our community. The first challenge is it's what I call information asymmetry. The people asking for something aren't exactly sure what they want. The people applying for something aren't exactly sure what they do. I've been fortunate to be on all sides of this a lot. So I'm I'm pretty clear. I don't like talent shortage at all. Like I, I it's just a, a, an excuse because let's say you're the person who's hiring for a position. Okay, so you want the unicorn, zebra, ninja, rock star, whatever. Cool. But what's the problem you're trying to solve? And and if your answer is an exasperated with security, okay, you're never going to find the right fit. You're just not going to. And right. if you studied like critical behavior interviewing or anything else, that's not even that good. And you need to spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. Now, flip side. I think we have a development challenge. We sometimes have entry level pathways, but like Rich said, it's you know, well, how long do you work the help desk? Have you do you know how to pull cable? Okay, great. Uh, or you know, you've already figured it out somewhere because you've failed forward enough, and someone goes, okay, cool, I like you, and and they'll hire you. There are a ton of people in their 30s and 40s that are trying to re-enter the workforce. We have a plethora of people that have. We talk about diversity, so again, we'll leave that for some other topic, but. They have completely different backgrounds, completely different experiences, completely different life, and they have a lot to contribute. Okay, well, how do they how do they get involved? When they're told you don't have a degree, you don't have the requisite experience, you don't have whatever. But yet, if you talk to them for five minutes, you realize, man, they'd be freaking awesome. They like they get it. Like they get it. They'd they'd be great. So I think collectively, right, the opportunity here is to say, what's the problem I'm really trying to solve? And if we can start to identify that better, if you're looking for a position, instead of saying, well, I want a job in security, you know, that might've worked 25 years ago, maybe. But these days, what, what does that mean? What do you want to do? What's your expertise? And I'll tell you, I, I've talked to a lot of people who will say, they'll, they'll focus on the technology of it. And I think that that's great. But every time I'm in one of these large scale forums and I say, cool, so what's your communication group look like? What's your marketing team look like? Somebody will almost always stand up and say, I'll pay double if you can get me somebody to communicate this stuff. So hold on. If you're listening to this or you know someone who's trying to break into it and they're good at sales, they're good at marketing, they know how to make a case, they, they're good at visualizations. Oh my goodness. That's gold mine right there. But they don't know it. They don't know how to position it. They're terrified of explaining it. 
And I think there's a real opportunity there. By the way, all you can say is uh, we also have a shortage of truck drivers. We have a shortage of hairstylists. We have a shortage of bankers. Just go open up any industry that you can think of. They all have a shortage too. We can't all have a shortage. I had the good fortune of having to grow a security organization during a recession. There was furloughs. There were hiring freezes. Uh, I couldn't go to the open market and get security professionals. And I thought I was the unluckiest person in the world. It was, uh, I was actually very fortunate. I started to, to, to look at the problem differently. I brought in people with Six Sigma process uh, experience, project managers, people from communications. Um, so we built this team that I think became diverse, not not in the sense that it needed to be. There were still not enough. Uh, we didn't look like the world uh, around the table that that, uh, that we wanted. But in terms of experience, we became incredibly diverse. And I think that made us a, a much more powerful organization. I love it. I love that. It's um, it's it's a topic we've covered before. Andy Ellis was on the show and talked about things like hiring librarians, right? Hiring right. these these completely out of the box roles that the skill set translates. You're like, oh, you're you're good at research and coming up with facts. Oh, you're good at explaining things. To to Michael's point, that you know, I'm, I'm I'm good at marketing or good at giving a pitch or whatever. All these roles overlap. All these roles dovetail. There's plenty of space there. So I think I think I think I agree on that one. I think it's a tired topic to say there is or isn't the shortage and there is or isn't you know too much demand or not enough demand or whatever it might be. I think, I think the challenge there is just let's elevate the conversation about how we become more inclusive. I think inclusive is the word we're all looking for. There, I'll point right? one more thing out too. And, and I, we're not going to name names, but there are plenty of organizations where it's, I almost see it as like a coaching dynasty where people will go out of their way to work for that leader. They, they have a waiting list when they, when they put their hand up and go, Hey, I think we've got an open position. They're flooded. Why? because they're articulate, because there's got a purpose, right? So let's talk about the talent shortage, which one more second, because, and, and this will feed into our next topic too. But what I've identified is there's there's three ways we need to experience value. We've got to have compelling problems to solve, right? And the reward for solving problems is fresh problems, harder problems, more complex problems. The second thing then is that by we when we solve those problems, we increase our value, which means we can contribute our value. Well, what are you contributing it to? Some nebulous security function where nobody likes you and you don't like anybody, you don't trust anybody? That sounds sucky. Like that's not even remotely interesting. But if you're learning to contribute your value to a business that then recognizes you by contributing to the business, that's great. Okay, well, I guarantee you the leaders that are doing that and can explain that and can say, hey, I've got this position. You're going to solve these types of challenges. I got your back. This is how you're going to grow. This is where you can contribute. This is why I get up every day. And it's not some hackneyed BS thing that we all don't want to hear again. Those people don't have a problem hiring because they know what they're looking for. And they're, they'll hire for attitude and aptitude long before they'll hire for skill set. We can teach skill set. And as somebody who's done both, you know, I'll tell you, what, it's, I, I can teach technical skills to anybody all day long, 10, 100 times easier than I can teach non-technical skills. And please don't call them soft skills because they're a lot harder to attain. I, and I can do both. But I'll tell you, if I had to choose, give me the right attitude, aptitude, right set of non-technical skills. We'll give you whatever you want in the tech all day long. So that's the that's the fix, right? Let's get the job recs written the way Santa just described, and I think we're off to the races on putting a, a pin in this this topic. To change this, sorry, I'm sorry, because but but you gave me an idea then. So this is where we need more of this on LinkedIn. Somebody writes a good job rec, okay, promote right. that, highlight that, tag that, let us know about that, and 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 we can help. We can do this as a community. We can point out the stuff that works, and then pull people into it. 
We all know people who meet those requirements and say, have you thought about this? Come on, I got your back. We'll help you. I'll help you on the tech stuff. Don't worry about that. You're good at this. Yeah, we can solve that. That's good. This it. goes good. I love it. This is this is why I got a liberal arts degree for my undergrad. Uh, this is it right here. Seriously, like it was on purpose. I was already working high tech jobs, paying for my college as I went through, and I saw the the idea of like going and getting a degree in what I consider to be vocational activity. I was already learning on the job. Why would I spend money to learn when other people were paying me to learn? But on the other hand, at the workplace, I wasn't getting those quote-unquote soft skills, right? Learning how to learn, learning how to research, learning how to articulate, learning how to tie big concepts together and, and put them out in a meaningful way that other people can glom onto them and go, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. Those were the skills I got from my education in liberal arts while I taught myself how to, you know, format discs and, you know, on, on up the technical progression as my career went on, right? That's a brilliant way to do it. That's why you need a music degree. You're there a conductor. You this is a symphony. Let's go. There we go. All right, our next topic, and uh, it's already been hinted at, CISO burnout. I'll, I'll go first on this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is CISO burnout a thing? Yes, yes, CISO burnout is a thing. Uh, also, lawnmower engines burn out, and <laughs> blender motors burn out, and uh, school workers burn out, and policemen burn out. And, and, you know, back to the, you know, we're not special snowflakes in this industry. Burnout is real for everybody. Burnout is nothing more than than really putting, you know, getting work-life balance that ultimately only you can control, right? And this is a conversation I was having with Rich just the other day that, that you know, I, I suck at work-life balance. Like I, and it's, but I recognize it's me doing it, right? CISO burnout is not the horrible industry has done this to me in my mind. It's I'm doing it to myself, and I have to be a little more respectful of myself and avoid going down that road. So to me, the tired topic of you know, CISO burnout, how real is it? How how much does it matter? Is this why, you know, CISOs are lasting short tenures and da-da-da-da-da. The conversation should really just be one about, hey, as we're caring for our mission, how do we care for ourselves? And I, and I think that's the conversations we should be having. And, and to Michael's point, positive stuff, right? Somebody finds a good self-care tip, post that on LinkedIn. Let's all jump on that and go crazy. Yeah, and not ridicule the person when I do it or, or mock them. Um, but really say good. You know what I see with when I bring this up with a lot of leaders, and this is this is an area I, I I think you nailed it, Alan. It's real, but unfortunately, it's largely self inflicted, which doesn't make it any less real. It goes back to these soundtracks. I'll say to somebody, "Hey, when's the last time you took a legitimate vacation?" Yeah. When's the last time you unplugged for more than seventy two hours? And and uh, and and we don't. Then I'll start talking about okay, so. Why are you working nights? Why are you working weekends? And then they'll say this. Well, I'm not asking my team to do it. Yeah, but you sent out emails at 10 o'clock at night. So, so you are asking them to do it. You sent out stuff on the weekend. You, you're asking them whether you know it or not. Well, I want them to be better. Okay, cool. So all you're doing now is ramping yourself down further and further, which means you're not there for them, which means you're not elevating them, which means you're taking on more work, which means you're burning out faster. But the problem is, security has a pretty well-earned reputation as being the obstructionists and the people who come in and slam their fist on the, the desk and tell everybody, no, 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 no. So now we have a lot of people who say, well, you can't say no. You have to say yes to everything. The mm -hmm. problem is if you say yes to everything, then you're also saying no to the important stuff. So our challenge is what are the right problems to solve? You know, I ask a lot of people, hey, how confident are you you're solving the right problems? And the number one answer is I'm 100% confident we're solving the wrong problems at a high rate of speed. <laughs> Okay, then stop, right? First rule of right. being in a hole, stop digging. Right. But at, to your point with self-care, there's three levels to it, right? There's a surge capacity. So if you go back to engines, engines have a surge capacity. You can redline, 
but you just can't do it for very long. Then you need some slack in the system, right? We don't we don't run our engines uh, full tilt all the time, right? We can say down here, full send. And then downtime. When's your downtime, right? Machines, and, and I, I always hate, like we're not machines, but but if we look at machines, you need a downtime. What happens at downtime? You do upgrades, you get rest, you let everything come back, right? We suck at that. But then every time I talk to a CISO who's burnt out and I say, hey, uh, are you growing? No. Do you feel like you're contributing? No, I don't even know why I'm bothering anymore. I hate this. By by sat, by Sunday night, I'm curled up in a ball. I don't want to go to work on Monday. Okay. Do you, do you feel like you got recognized for your work? Most common answer? Well, I, th I think they appreciate me. I don't know. I don't know, dude. Why are you even asking me? Okay. If you as the leader don't feel like you're growing, you're not contributing, and you're not being recognized for your work, then you don't have a seat at the table. And of course, you're going to burn out. Because then you're going to go into these heroics and you're going to set these BHAG goals. And, and then you're, it's just, it's a vicious cycle. If we don't break the cycle, like it, it has a pretty predictable downside. Two thoughts come to mind. The first is, you know, why, it, what's the average tenure of a, of a, of a CISO? It's about 18 months. Uh, and, but and we, we hear that stat all the time. I don't hear enough people dissecting the why. If I had to venture a guess, the why is mismatched expectations. You know, I think there's at least four archetypes of CISOs. There's builders, there's growers, there's optimizers, and there's destroyers. And just like any life cycle, <laughs> we keep going through all four of those, but there's a mismatch when you think you're coming in to build something really cool and they're saying, take money out or blow this thing up and destroy it and send it back to the business. Those are mismatched expectations. So I think getting clarity upfront of uh, not only what is the role, but what phase is this role in right now? I think that's important. And then the other thing for burnout, um, you know, I try not to blame people as my first course of action. I always want to blame the process, right? Yeah. So what's your management operating system? Is it sustainable? Is, is, is your process, everybody calls the CISO 24-7 and they run around in firefighter mode trying to fix it? That's not a sustainable process. Uh, so blame the process and let's fix that and let's focus on how we how we build world-class processes. And back to the earlier comment, let's start sharing those on LinkedIn and in these forums uh, so we can lift one another up and not just bitch about it. All right, let's pause right there real quick and hear a word from our sponsor, Texas Style. Howdy, y'all. Asset management for IT and security sure ain't easy. And our networks are fixing to get more complex. But I reckon there's a better way of doing things. And it starts with Axonius. Axonius helps you lasso everything in your environment, devices, users, software, and more, to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and automate action. You want a free walkthrough of the platform? Head on over to axonius.com get dash a dash tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash get dash a dash tour. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie the two together. What I said originally about most of it ends up being self-inflicted and what you just said about its bad management operating system. I would argue as the CISO, you're more in charge of your management operating system than anybody else is, right? Right. Yep. And, and I think Michael's right. You, we, we, we do this to ourselves and then we question our, you know, oh, how much do they value me? Do they really know what I'm doing? Well, I don't know, but you've created this bizarre masochistic gerbil wheel for yourself and, and, and now you're questioning the results outside of the gerbil wheel, Right. Amen. Well, yeah, take that, take that gerbil wheel a step further. We don't completely understand all the steps into it. Look, for a lot of reasons, we're, we're, as humans, we tend to be wired towards negativity. So if I ask you on Friday, tell me something good, right? You come to office hours. Hey, tell me something good. Most people are stumped. 
You can, I can ask you that question 10 weeks in a row and you think you'd come ready this week. I'm ready. No, people are still, because what they get to on Friday is I didn't get enough stuff done and I got a lot more stuff I got to do and I don't know when I'm going to do it. But here's the question then, if we don't know what our value is, right? If we don't see our value, how can anybody else? If I don't know all the effort that went into getting that thing done because I stole time from my wife and kids and I stole time from my weekend and I took time when I should be recovering, well, all the business knows is you got it done. So they're going to ask you to do it again. And you're going to freak out about that. But we never told them what it really took. We never explained the real cost. And and I'm betting both of you, if if somebody asked you to do something and you just said, cool, so what do you want me to leave off the list? Or is that a higher priority than these three other things? Most people don't go, screw you, figure it out. I know it happens. I, I've seen it. I've witnessed it. And I've dealt with it. But it's not the typical response that most people have. Most people go, oh, well, they're all important. You go, cool. But what's more important than like, how do you, you want me to work all night and weekend? And most people don't want that. And by the way, if you're in that situation, of course, you're going to burn out. Get the hell out. Like, that's just not safe. Fair enough. All right, let's see here. Oh, another good one. Uh, while we're on this subject of internal landscape, imposter syndrome. Um, somewhere is inevitably the person that jumps on LinkedIn and says, oh, my God, I feel like such a fraud. And then everyone jumps on and goes, oh, it's not just you. It's all of us. It's imposter syndrome. We all suffer from it. It's okay. And the conversation never goes any further than that. Tired topic. Okay, that's my rant about it. Uh, who's got a good alternative? I, I'm not only guilty of having imposter syndrome, I'm guilty of talking about it too much as well, because uh, I think it is natural. And, and I don't know if it's unique to the CISO community and to the security community. I, I think there used to be an expectation uh, long ago that they were the smartest person in the room, that they had somehow figured out all of IT and this superset of IT that is security. So not only everything good that can go on, but everything bad that can go on as well. Uh, and so there's a lot of pressure in, in that, that role. I don't believe that's the case anymore. The smartest person in the room now brings the smartest person in the room. And I think a lot of us are comfortable not knowing and but bringing the experts to the table to get the best value out. Um, but, you know, I think the other side of the, the, the coin is, okay, we talk so much about imposter syndrome. Let's talk about complacency syndrome. And I think that's totally relevant mm. to today's show, right? Mm -hmm. Which is how do we just get so dang comfortable thinking that we know everything and that we know, you know, the talk tracks for every major topic so that we can blurt them out and, and just move on. Uh, I, I think we've got to stretch ourselves, stretch our legs uh, on some of these new greenfield topics into areas that make us incredibly uncomfortable because that's where we'll have the most value. That's because that's where we get the most growth, right? That's right. That's right. You've got to, and, and if you look at it and you start realizing your track record is pretty good, I think there's a benefit for us as we cross into our 40s and near 50 and beyond where I see people go one of two directions. They And it's usually like when I've been looking at it, it's between like 35 and 45. Men and women, everybody kind of goes through this. You get knocked around by life and things didn't work out the way you want and you, you just shrink. Screw it. I'm just going to take the corporate gig. I'm going to work nine to five. You're probably the ones we're writing about with the silent quitting right now. Or you say, you know what? I'm not dead yet. Shit hasn't knocked me down yet. Let's go. Bring it on. Let's go. And um, you can tell. You can tell the people that that life has has dealt them a couple things, and it didn't go the way they expected, but they rose up from it. So I think the thing though is that when you're in that situation, it's remarkable when somebody else reaches out and just says, "Hey, man, let me drag you back to the fire," because you got fight left in you. You don't see it. I see it. 
So when I start looking at this, because we're, we all, we all suffer from it. It's a very human condition. And I think Rich pinned on something interesting in security. Well, most of us were bred. I mean, my very first day on the job, I was not necessarily hired into a security team. It was a tech team and a nice Texan sits me down and says, Hey kid, you're the new guy. Don't F up. And if you F up, the world's going to sit on your shoulders. So my recommendation is don't F up. Cool. Well, hey, that's a hell of a pep talk. And, and you talk to people that have been doing this long enough, and we're so terrified that we're going to be asked a question that we don't know the answer to, that we take on, oh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a fraud. I can't even be here. What I found is the best thing you do is someone asks a question, I say, I don't know. Because I don't care if you know the question or not, right? The, the operative thing is what you do next, which is, is that important enough for me to figure it out? I know how to get an answer. Come on, security, you, you've got to be creative in this industry. And we tend to be a little bit tenacious about stuff. So you can figure anything out you need to. And enough of us have relationships on LinkedIn and other. I don't think I've ever turned anybody away who's asked for help. I don't think either of you have. And if anybody throws something up there, you comment on it. So so nobody's alone, but you feel alone in the moment. So I, I think the complacency thing, Rich, I think that's a really key point. But But I also think, too, it's realizing you're okay. And so, you know, when we talk about this disconnection from our value, it's, you know, our story is not our resume on LinkedIn or your resume or, or whatever, right? Your story is the battles, the, the characters you've come across and the, the trials that you've worked through. And even if you, quote, didn't win, you won. You're still alive. You're on the right side of the dirt. And what I, what I found is when I've worked with teams and I've said, hey, take, take a little time, go look at some stuff that's made you who you are and let's share it. It's always surprised me what people are willing to share. Because I'm always like, look, you don't have to share a thing you are not comfortable with. No, people find like, wait, I overcame this. I did this. Nothing to do with security. And next thing you know, we're having really good conversations. And then suddenly you realize, oh, we've all been through a lot of stuff. Oh, we can, we can, we got this. We, we can do this. What I find then is that if you as the leader are disconnected from your value, right? You don't see your value means other people aren't going to see it. There's a corollary that says then you won't realize the value in other people. The job that we have as a leader is to elevate the people around us. So if you have a team member who's feeling that imposter syndrome, instead of saying, yeah, yeah, we all, we all deal. Listen, when you get to be 45, it'll work itself out. We get the opportunity to say, okay, I see something in you you don't see in you yet. Here, let me show you. Let me give you a task. This sucks. It's, it's going to suck a little bit. It's gonna, you're going to struggle through it. Don't worry. I got you. You're going to figure it out and elevate them up. But see, if we keep to rich's point if we stay with this complacent yeah it's imposter syndrome yeah i'm not good enough yeah i'll just work more hours well then you're not you're not rising to the level that people need you to be in order to get them where they need to go how do you fix that i mean there's a book uh it's uh the, the title is is relatively straightforward it's called unfuck yourself i think that's gary john bishop <laughs> but it's funny because i've had CISOs reach out to me to recommend it and i've met a couple that have read it three four times now and its difference is profound. I had my uh, my teenage kids read it, and and they thanked me. they both thanked me for it because it, you know same thing with soundtracks. We don't realize we're doing this to ourselves. There's an opportunity to fix it. So yeah, I like it. That's cool. That's real cool. And uh, now we have to check the E for explicit box. Sorry, man. <laughs> I apologize. You're good. You're good. I check that box once every I don't know ten or twelve shows. It comes up, so not a worry. Um, it's 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 valid. I think it's a great title. <laughs> Unfuck yourself. I think it's a great mission. I think it's a great mission statement because I think I think to to fall into complacency syndrome or to to roll with the imposter syndrome, neither one is productive, right? Um, to your point, 
there's mirrors, right? The whole world is a mirror. And every every facet of, of every nook and cranny of the world is its own little mirror. And those mirrors might be positive, they might be negative. None of them are none of them are actually truly objective, right? Yeah, they're funhouse mirrors. Right. The the trick is you hold up a mirror to someone else, always try to make sure it's that positive mirror. And if we're all doing that with each other, you know, hey, I appreciate you're getting complacent and you think you know it all, you know, but you know a lot of stuff, man, but but come over here and look at this challenge. One thing I like about you is you like new challenges and you like learning and you like growing. And suddenly you're you're talking them out of that complacency by by reinforcing the positives of, of themselves getting themselves out of complacency. And the same thing obviously works with them with imposter and, syndrome too. So and look at new domains. So if you think if you happen to think you know it all about tech, right? Take a look at EQ. Take a look at what build how you build a world class team. Take a look at, uh, at 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 the arts and the creative spaces. Right, get all these. Get become a multi dimensional know it all. If you if you've already achieved know it all in one of those verticals, right. Stretch your legs. I think I, I think it's normal for people to get complacent at times. It's normal for people to feel like an imposter at times. But it's a cycle, and you've got to get out of those ruts and and get back to the other end of the spectrum. Right. The the balance is the true story, right? Right. There's things you know and things you don't know, and it shouldn't be a syndrome in either case. It should just be you accepting you. Yeah. It's a syndrome if you're stuck, right? So so un, so unstuck yourself. How's that? Unstuck yourself. I love it. <laughs> All right. So we're going to switch gears. Um, our next one is Tired Topics uh, Awards Marketing. <laughs> Every one of us have received the emails. You know, oh, for the low, low price of whatever. You know, first of all, they tell you how you're recognized and how they've researched you. And then somewhere buried at the bottom is the low, low price of. And then you realize this is just pay-to-play awards. And then you go on LinkedIn and go, oh, pay-to-play awards. And everyone chimes in with, oh, yeah, those guys. And it happens every week, and the conversation never changes. <laughs> so rinse and repeat. We've got another tired topic. There's some goodness in these awards, so I don't want to discount them, right? So uh, it generally, if you if you look deep enough into the individual projects that are being recognized, there's some good work there, and we shouldn't we shouldn't dismiss that. There should be maybe a better way, a different way of sharing those lessons learned and the values, so we can lift each other up in these in these communities. Um, but yeah, I think that the two sides of the uh, of of the awards marketing coin are uh, there's pay to play and there's fake awards. And they're easy to get. Um, but then the other side of the coin is there's a lot of great work going on, both unrecognized and recognized, uh, that we should be celebrating and sharing the lessons learned. I'm going to commit to my listeners. I'm going to commit one hour a week. If you're feeling down and you want an award, reach out to me. I'll interview you, and we will find things about you that are worthy of an award, and I will print you an award, and you can put it on your LinkedIn and say, Alan gave me an award. And it'll be a meaningful award because I'll actually get to know you and I can guarantee you there's something positive in there to, to be worthy of an award. How about that? I think it's fair because what you're pointing at too is that we, we, we all have an innate desire to be heard and a desire to be recognized for our work, right? I mean, you know, in military circles, we joke about the I love you wall or the I love me wall and, and all the accolades and stuff, you can line up on it. I personally don't like them for myself, um, but- I get it. And so these awards sometimes come at the right time and the right place. I've also sat on, on the not pay for play awards, but I've, I've sat on a bunch of the committees where people submit stuff. And I'll tell you what, it's a lot of PR teams that are, are hustling and gunning for stuff. And, and to be blunt, a lot of what I read is, you know, pure bullshit. But 
to Rich's point, there was a good project underneath it. But I've also, right, like I've, I've been at these award shows and I'm the, the idiot who somebody wins an award and I go, congratulations. Hey, so how did you get buy-in for this? And, and did you like, did you measure the value of that? How did that work? And, you know, blank face stare. No, dude, we just, I won an award. Okay, cool. Note to self, stop asking tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is our next one here? I'm laughing so hard. I got tears in my eyes and I can't even read my list. Ah, here we go. Uh, vendor, vendor bitches. We, we were, we're, we're constant at this point. Bitching about vendors for the following cold calls, uh, ambulance chasing, claiming to have silver bullets, uh, whatever other atrocious vendor behaviors there are. There are entire podcasts whose whole purpose is to discuss this phenomenon. I have seen podcasts from the marketing side and the sales side. I have seen podcasts from the CISO side. I have seen ones attempting to bridge the gulf. Um, this is this is a lot of churn and a lot of traffic, and to me, it's the same thing. You'll see the conversation come. A couple of vendors, blah blah blah, and everyone chimes in with like, "Oh my god, the vendor, blah blah blah," and it just goes on and on and on. How do we get out of that gerbil wheel? Because this one is this one is truly tiresome for me. I'm not a fan of putting vendors on blast in in these social media forums. Uh, it, it might just be another one of those tricks to try to get likes and comments and get your engagement score up. Uh, so it perhaps is disingenuous. I'm not sure it's changing how vendor vendors uh, operate. If cold calls didn't work, they would stop. Right. Um, so, so they obviously work, so they will continue. But is there a better way? I mean, I've been advocating for years, and I've, I've seen, I guess I won't drop any, uh, any solutions out there. Sure, I will. You can bleep it out. Uh, check out IT Harvest. Uh, what is it? Richard uh, Stiernan, I think, uh, put, is putting IT Harvest together. You know, what I've been begging for for years is what's the Yelp of the cybersecurity industry, right? How can, I, I've never had a, a four-star Cordon Bleu chef call my house and say, are you hungry for Italian tonight? Uh, yet that's what vendors do. There's got to be a better way, a Yelp-like model where I can just go saying, this is what I want. These are my problems. These are the metrics. These are the needles I'm trying to move. Give me some products and give me their efficacy scores and I'll pick the winner and we'll try and negotiate a, a win, right? That's what I want. Right? Yeah, Adrian Sanabria was doing this with a, with a legit hands-on lab where they were literally writing actual concrete real-world reviews of product A, B, and C yep. and looking at a particular niche in the industry and saying, we're going to look at the top three competitors, take them apart, and publish our findings. Um, it ultimately didn't succeed because it wasn't a fundable model. The vendors don't want to risk funding it because what if they're the bottom two of the three, right? Yep. Yep. And who else is going to fund it and pay for it? So, so we had that whole conversation on the show a while back, and it was it was very sad to me because I thought you know the consumer reports model it's even better than Yelp, right? Right. Um, but uh, I, I don't know how we get this yeah, off the ground. If you're if you're afraid of being bottom three, be a better product, right? That's what we need to to move up the value stack. Well, yeah. So you know when I look at this, I, there's a couple of things that come to mind, and this is this is something I've been looking at for a couple of years. So I'm not sure I have answers, but I can I can I've looked at it from a different lens. So those of us old enough to remember first security conferences, how many how many vendors were there? Okay, go to RSA this year. How many vendors are on the floor at RSA? How many vendors can afford to be on the floor at RSA? Okay, so then how many security vendors are there overall? Now, if we think we have a shortage in our industry, period, then what's the shortage look like for vendors today, for marketing and salespeople? So what do they get? They get inexperienced people that don't really understand it because 
what what I've learned is like I've kind of looked at it. In in when you're a smaller startup company, you tend to have the founders. The founders and the first team tend to be experienced. They're highly passionate. They're well connected. They get excited. But then funding or otherwise, now they've got numbers they got hit. They got stuff they got to do. They hire people that will help with that. Or frankly, they hated sales in the first place, which I think in security is a big mistake. We're all in sales. Only some of us acknowledge it. So now what happens is somebody calls and they say, well, I don't, I don't like it. Now, I've, I've, to be fair, I've, I've sat on the other side and, and I, those endless calls, right, both as a writer and as an analyst and, and when I'm supporting some of the security leaders, like, I get it. It's a nonstop deluge. I get it. I, I totally get it. So Rich, I, I'm with you. Like, I think that putting a vendor on blast on social media says more about you than it says about the vendor. I think that maybe it's done. I, I didn't think about doing it for likes in the, in the, you know, post the kitten on Facebook kind of thing. But I also think sometimes people are frustrated. They don't know where to turn and they want other people to go, yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, and then take me off your list and whatever. But I always, when I read it too, you know, and I read, well, I, I know everything I need to know. So don't bother calling me. No, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. That's not even possible. Like, I don't know everything I need to know. Hell, I don't know anything anymore. But now let's go back to it. I got milk toast marketing. I got inexperienced sales reps. And, and they want to do all these battle sheets and they want to look for these hooks. And, and so when if I take time and I say, hey, what's your value prop? Oh, they got nothing. They got nothing. Yeah. Hey, what, what problems do you solve? I don't know. All of the problems. My favorite, what, uh, who do you sell to? Oh, we sell to anybody. Bullshit. You do not sell to anybody. Who do you sell to? Who do you disqualify? How do you disqualify them? And they can't answer that, but they've got numbers. They got a hit, right? It's boiler room for these guys and girls. Yeah. And so, so they've got to do it. So, so the problem is we got a culture now that's, that's made itself adversarial because these companies also know security still has budget, right? Look at, we're, we're potentially heading into a recession and we're not worried. We're, we're not sure where budget's going to go, but we're told IT's okay for now and cyber. Yeah, you're still fine. Okay. Well, so if you're in the sales game, where are you going to go? You're, you're going to start hitting these people and, and you're told, right? So there's a, there's another book I'm thoroughly enjoying. It's called Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. I think if you're in security, you need to read that book probably twice because it talks about how we frame everything. But he makes a comment in there, something to the effect of, we teach people in sales that you've got to reach out to a hundred people to just get three calls. And then you got, he's like, yeah, no, uh, learn how to pitch, figure out what you do, find the right people, connect with them, tell a better story. And if it's a good connection, it'll go. And if it's not, you don't waste their time. They don't waste your time. You move on. Because let me ask you this, right? And you guys have been doing this a long time. Guarantee you know a couple people in sales that if they call, you'll always pick up the phone. Yep. Why is that? It's trust, relationship. Yep. Because they bring you value, right? They've never wasted your time. And when you say it's not a good fit, it's not a right time, they don't play games. They're not trying these test closes and all this stuff that they they read some other place. They go, cool. All right. Can I call you back six months? See what's up? And you're like, yeah. And eventually they bring you stuff or they say, hey, I'm not a good fit for this, but let me introduce you to so-and-so or whatever. Okay. So same sort of question, right? How, how do we help? But I'm going to give you another idea because I've, I've, I've done this a little bit by accident and I'll do it more by intention. And so kind of like your point, Alan, if, you know, if somebody needs to pick me up, they, they can give you a call. And um, to that end, they can, they can come to office hours with me. But if you've got something that you need to suss out, shoot me a private note, uh, LinkedIn, or shoot me an email. I'll reverse proxy that for you. I'll put it out there. Because A, it'll be a fairly public conversation. And B, if somebody wants to call and pitch me on what they're doing, I'll give them 15, 20 minutes. I'll listen to it. Um, Rich has watched me ask these folks questions. I'm polite, but I'm also kind of direct. And um, you know, if it's good, yeah, I'll, I'll pass it on. I'll make introductions. And if not, I won't waste your time. I think we can do that. I think the other thing too is there's this idea called a reverse pitch. 
I'd love to see more of this. Okay, so you're you're a security leader today. You've got a problem to solve. Okay, can you quickly in like five minutes or less articulate for me the problem that you'd like to solve, what the uh, acceptable outcomes look like, how you'll know when it's done, what your costs and concerns are, and what your ideal approach would be, or just at least your ideal outcome? Put that out there. Or again, same thing. I'll do it. I'll do it for you because I, I don't mind if somebody tries to, like, that doesn't bother me. And then we can move some of that forward. But now, Rich, you got me thinking about the Yelp thing. So one more piece on that. It's kind of like, goes back to my information asymmetry challenge. The, 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 key, the missing link has always been, but what's our framework to look at it, right? So like, I just a quick sidestep. I never like it when people talk about the security poverty line. I, I think the more accurate description is we have a bifurcation. We have teams that are small, run lean, and need to be generalists versus teams that can be specialists and have a bigger uh, have a bigger mission in front of them and a different way of operating. That's not a poverty line. That's just a, there's two different worlds that we we have to live in. So in that, then we have you know so a Yelp. If if I'm small. I need to be able to say, hey, I'm a small shop supporting XYZ with these technologies. And if somebody else goes, oh, I already have the answer, it's blah. Well, how, how can I discern rapidly if that works for me or not? And that's where a lot of these things start kind of falling down. I think, though, that if we can help structure some of that a little bit better, hey, I'm in this situation with this type of stuff, you know, again, without giving out information everybody's worried about that everybody knows anyway. Um, I think I think there's a way to like, channel that but I, I don't know i think you're describing like an angie's list right <laughs> i need a handyman that can do that can do this right. uh, i i love the idea of reverse pitching i think some uh security organizations don't like they, they consider that bad obsec to say what my vulnerabilities are but i think i think we've got to have more transparency there i'm i'm with you I, i'll, I'll yeah. say one more right right yeah right yeah, I'll, exactly. say, I'll, I'll say one more thing. I think back to blaming the process, not the people. If you've got a vendor that, that you didn't care for that just cold called you, take a step back and say, what is our process? Have we defined an engagement process? I've seen some world-class security organizations. I didn't do this. I didn't think of it, but it's brilliant. That publish, uh, this is the email address to submit to. This is how you register your capabilities. This is the frequency at which we bring in uh, a vendor pitch day. And they have a whole process for how to curate that and process yeah. it, as opposed to just these opportunistic things where emails and and uh, and phone call IEDs go off all day long. I, yeah. I think it's a world-class process, and we should all mimic that. I used to commit two hours a week to the vendors, and I went on LinkedIn and said, "Here's my here's my hours. Come hit me up. You know, sign up. You get a half hour block, so I can handle four a week. Yep. And and here's the rules. You're going to pitch to me in a, in a half hour, and we're going to have a conversation at the end. So it's really a 20 minute pitch with a 10 minute combo. And I'll do this every week. And here's here's my availability. And and I learned so much by doing that. But if you if you could if you could take Santa's idea and say these are the categories that you should be that we are prioritizing. That's even better. Right? I'll tell you what. I've got a thing I never released, but I, I've sketched it out, and I call it the vendor. Uh, the uh, the value prop conversation starter. We don't need to get into it deeper, but it's like five questions to just get started. And if you're the one who's getting pitched, you have to know your answers to those questions. And if you're the one doing the pitching, you just have to categorically answer them. And then the two of you can negotiate to whatever you want to be. Um, I can commit to making that public at some point. Like I, I'm happy do to it. do it. It's just, let's a, do it. It just takes a couple minutes. Well, it takes right. And I've got, I've got three threads we've covered that I want to tie together here. Um, we talked about imposter syndrome and we talked about complacency syndrome. Yeah. Then we talked about reverse pitching and we talked about this idea that what works for the small teams may not work for the big teams. 
and I think that we have a problem inherent to ourselves as the practitioners, as the CISO community and whoever else is in the practitioner community, where all those threads get jumbled together. In other words, it becomes very easy to say, I am an expert, and, and I am an expert based on my experience, but to forget that second phrase, based on my experience. And I think all of us can suffer from, uh, well, I've always solved this problem this way. This is how we're going to solve it. And, and suddenly you're critiquing vendors. Suddenly your pitch sucks. Your reverse pitch sucks. Suddenly, you know, complacency syndrome is kicked in when, in fact, it's the, it's the variety of backgrounds that are out there that, that keep us all in check. And, and there's always something to be learned, right? And, and I think the reverse pitch becomes stronger if you recognize, but I'm a small shop. Um, or but I'm a big shop, or whatever those caveats and disclaimers might need to be, your reverse pitch gets better, your conversation with the vendor gets better, and it, and it ties into that whole complacency syndrome thing too. It's basically just self-awareness, right? And then back to your point, a level of comfort of saying, I don't know. Yes. Right, like, I, like to your point, if you're going to tie those threads together, so if I'm being pitched, I should have all the answers. What do you mean you have something I don't know? Of course I know, I'm, I'm in charge, I have to know. Right. As right. opposed to saying, I'm get, I, you know, I, I did an event years ago where day one was uh, security and day two was uh, CIOs. And on day one, like you walk through Vendor Village and people were, were ducking and they're covering their faces and they don't want to talk to anybody. Day two, it's it's all slapping each other in the back. And, you know, Alan, Alan, you've got this problem. Come over here. You got to meet Rich. Come over. Meet this guy. Come on. This this guy solved my problems. He's great. They're screaming it. They're, there's And it's a, it's a much more congenial approach. We need to get to that. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And for anybody suffering from complacency syndrome, uh, I want to say the best solution that I've found is to host a podcast with brilliant <laughs> guests like these two fellows. You will walk away never feeling like the smartest guy in the room, uh, and you'll always learn something too. It's a great it's a great way to go. Guys, we are at the 55-minute mark. I know we promised our listeners top 10. I think we still have about four to go, uh, but we're at the 55-minute mark, so I'm going to shut this one down. I'm going to ask each of you a question I ask every guest, and, and I'm totally up for a part two, by the way. If you guys are willing to keep tackling these topics, I'm having a lot of fun with this conversation. But here's the question I ask everybody. We'll start with you, Rich. You are handed a magic wand. You can wave it and change any one thing in the cybersecurity world. People, process, technology, the ecosystem, the politics, the governance, the regulations, anything. The tech stack, whatever you want to change. What would you change with your magic wand? My magic wand. Um, are we talking about the organization or the people or both? I guess, it, here, let me, let, let, me, let, let me skin the cat this way. I, if I wave my magic wand, I would start coupling security with other adjacent markets, other functions. Um, you know, what, what I've been excited about lately is digital transformation. Obviously it's another buzzword. Um, uh, but when I look at what resonates with business leaders, everybody wants to optimize, right? And, and when I start looking at how do I couple security with digital transformation and what all comes down to trustworthy data, you can't digitally transform without first, uh, digitization. And that requires trustworthy, trustworthy data. Uh, so, you know, bringing these things that we look at as totally separate fields closer together, competitive intelligence is another one. You know, I look at security does intelligence. There's business intelligence done in IT. Uh, there, you know, the business does their own in intelligence independent of IT. There's competitive intelligence that falls under strategic marketing. It's all intel. And so if we all work together, looking at these adjacent markets and saying, hey, what's common? How can we build an intelligence-led company? Uh, and bring these these experts together from different domains. I think we all get a whole lot better as a result. 
first of all, we start to rationalize applications that are duplicated across all these functions. But now also this diversity of experience where people have been, oh, I've only been focused on on APT threats. Well, I've only been focused on the competitors that are trying to uh, to, to beat us on the battlefield as well. It's all the same battlefield. It's business. And, and the more we can bring them together, my magic wand would solve that. I love that. All right, Michael, magic wand. Yeah, thanks for letting Rich go first. <laughs> that sucks. Uh, I'm just, know, I'm just, I'm just stalling for you, brother. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. It's, I'll, 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 uh, I'll Venmo you the, uh, the <laughs> appropriate amount here. You know, for me, um, I wanna, I wanna play off of something Rich just said too. Um, but what I'll do is I'll, I'll go this other direction first, and then I'll, I'll see if it makes sense still. The first thing I wrote down was connection. Um, and so like talking about how like, yeah, it, it, it's all a, a lot of the stuff Rich said, like I looked at it and went, yeah, this rationalization makes sense. And also I'll, I'll start with that. I, I think I'd like to see more cooperation and collaboration in our industry. A lot less of this. Oh, I can't talk. Rich already said I can't. I can't it's obs- I can't say it's obsec. Stop. 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 We don't compete on security, especially given that the, the adversaries we're facing today, they're good and they're smart. And and they don't mind sharing ideas to each other, and they and, collaborate. And they do really well, and they have free. This isn't new, um, so we need to get better at. It. But but so then to that end, where I kind of look at it is, I think a lot of our challenges are around communication, right? So I, I look a lot at friction, and friction is in communication, it's in process, it's in our technology, but invariably it's in the communication that that kills us every single time. So if I want security to be closer to the business, right? Like for example, if I say to a security leader. So do you want to be a partner to the business? And they go, yeah, I'd love to be trusted by the business. And I go, aren't you part of it? What do you mean you're a partner to it? Like you're part of it, right? There's a distinction between I got invited to the table and I got a seat at the table. There's a distinction between I pulled up a chair to the table and had to push somebody aside as to I have a chair with my name on it and I've got a permanent seat. The, well, how do we do that? It's communicating with confidence. It's being able to say, I didn't understand the thing you just said to me. Try it again. You know, or I'll work with you, or there's this thing I call story swapping. You know, when, when we do effective communication, it's because you've distilled down to your point, you've taken responsibility for it, and then you make sure that the other person actually gets the message that you sent. We don't do that in the business world. We don't do that in society very well. And and I think that if I had a magic wand, it would be we'd slow down. And when somebody doesn't get it, they don't they don't feel bad about it. They say, I didn't understand that, but I'd like to. Could you please explain it to me? And instead of us being offended that they didn't get it, we go, huh. Cool. All right. Let me try again. And and we, uh, you know, we negotiate, we navigate to whatever that understanding is, because I think we can solve a lot of problems that way. Uh, and most of the problems that I get called in to solve are almost always, if I ask you to explain what you're trying to do, you, you can't. Well, if you can't explain it to me and I'm good at understanding stuff, I, I know where we need to start. So, you know, if I had a magic wand and we could take that off the playing field, we'd, we'd be a lot better overnight. That's a fantastic use of the magic wand and a great way to tie all these threads from this show together as well. Well done, sir. Thank you, sir. All right, gentlemen, thank you both. Michael Santarcangelo, Rich Mason, thank you all so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>